I don't know if you can see this from the back, but who can, who can tell me what this is? Do you want to shout out? Somebody shout out for me. Yeah, tin of golden syrup. If, you, if you've got, got a Bible, uh, please turn to Judges chapter 14, where there is a link between this chapter in the Old Testament and this tin that I'm holding. Uh, but before we read Judges 14, let me fill in a wee bit for anyone who wasn't here last week or who might be visiting today. This is week two of a short four-part series based on the life of Samson, which we have called uh, Flawed But Faithful. And last Sunday, we, we looked at Samson's birth. That was in chapter 13, which was announced by a supernatural messenger who turned out to be none other than the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord confirmed to Manoah and to his wife, that's Samson's mom and dad, that they were going to have a son. And this son, this is quoting verse 5 of Judges 13, this son was going to take, their son was going to take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, Israel needed delivering because they had sinned yet again, something they just kept doing, even though they had been rescued time and time before that. And therefore, God, it says at the beginning of verse, or chapter 13, handed them over to the Philistines. It was God's judgment on the people for sinning yet again. He handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. And even though this time round, the people didn't ask for help, God was preparing to help them. Anyway, he was raising up another deliverer, another judge, another savior, and that judge, the 12th in the book of Judges, was Samson. And at the end of chapter 13, Samson arrived. And in one of the very last verses, we discovered two really important things about him. And we were left kind of feeling very hopeful because of these two important things that we read at the end of chapter 13. It says that Samson was blessed by God and that the Spirit of God was stirring in him. Samson, it would seem, was God's man for such a time as this. So what would happen next? Well, Let's find out, and as we almost always do, let's, let's stand together for the public reading of God's gripping word. It's not on the screen, so if you do have a copy, that would be great. So Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and his mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among your own people? Must you go to the circumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother, and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman, and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But 
he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. And if you can give me the answer within seven days of the feast, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us the riddle, they said. Let's hear it, he replied. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give an answer. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, Samson. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my mom and dad, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She in turn explained the riddle to her people. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, here's the answer. What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Grab a seat. So, did you get the link between that chapter and this tin of syrup? Yeah. The li- on the front of this, t- I, I only discovered this this week. How many people knew this, by the way? Right, there's a few hands going on. I only discovered this this week. But on the front of every single tin of Lyle's golden syrup is this. Picture of a lion, swarm of bees, and then a line from the riddle Samson said, out of the strong came forth sweetness. And apparently Abraham Lyle, who was the founder of Lyle's, he was a deeply religious man, and therefore this logo, which became their trademark, has been in the front of every one of their products for something like the past 100 years. Fascinating. If you learn nothing else this morning, you've learned that, okay? But although this was a surprising discovery for me this week, but surely far more surprising Far more shocking, even disturbing, is what we discover about Samson in this chapter. All our hopes at the end of chapter 13 are quickly wrecked. Totally wrecked. By the end of chapter 14, it seems that God's promised, chosen, blessed, spirit-accompanied deliverer and savior, Samson, is nothing more than a lustful, disrespectful, flippant, lawless, Love Island watching, muscle-head gambler with a bad temper. I added a certain extra detail in there, but just, just go with me because he would have watched it. <laughs> Samson is a deeply unpleasant man. He's repulsive. And although Judges 14 inspired some tasty syrup, It hardly inspires anything else, does it? Or anyone else? Or maybe. 
maybe. Well, let's, let's take a closer look. And we're going to start with Samson's behavior. The very first words out of Samson's mouth are not impressive. After all the buildup of chapter 13, you would expect that the first thing this God-appointed, God-chosen, blessed, spirit-accompanied man, the first words out of his mouth would have been worth hearing, but they're not. He says, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as my wife. Now, apart from treating this woman as, a, as an object, a commodity, and treating his parents like some kind of dating agency, the fact that he's wanting to hook up with a Philistine, a people group that he's meant to be defeating, not marrying into, is alarming and disappointing. And even when his parents challenge him about his decision, Samson, why? Why the Philistines? When we, when, we, when we sent you down there to Timna, we thought you were going on a kind of wrecking mission to see how you were going to defeat them, not to check out the local talent. Why them? Why do you not marry within our own people group, as we're meant to do? And even when his parents challenge him, what, are they, what does he say to them? Verse, get her for me. For she pleases me well. If you have an NIV, you'll see down at the bottom of footnote, if you're using an ESV, it captures it perfectly. What Samson actually says is this, get her for me, she is right in my eyes. Now, this should ring bells for anybody who was here last week, because how were the people of God at this time described and summarized at the end of the book of Judges? In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what? what was right in their own eyes. So you see, Samson is just a man of his times. But hang on a minute, was he not meant to be different? Was he not meant to be different? Well, anyway, Samson wants this woman. And so it's interesting, his mom and dad go with him to Timnah. You see, Samson's still their boy. I love this wee detail. And yet he might be making choices that they don't agree with that are breaking their hearts, but Samson's still their son. So we go, they go with him. And as I said last week, Manoah and Mrs. Manoah are a couple of the unsung heroes of Scripture. And although they travel together, it's Samson, it would seem, must have gone on ahead a bit for whatever reason. And at some point, a young lion comes tearing out of nowhere, and Samson rips it apart as you do, but his parents don't see it, and Samson doesn't tell them about it. And then they arrive in, in Timnah, and, and Samson meets his wife-to-be, and sure enough, to quote verse 7, he likes her. She is right in his eyes. So the wedding date is set. And sometime later, Samson and his parents return to Timnah for the big day, or actually for the big seven days, because weddings in that time and in that culture lasted for at least a week. And on the way back to Timnah to celebrate their wedding, Samson sees he passes again the lion's carcass, the one that he had killed the last time he went this way. And he notices that a swarm of bees have taken up residency in the lion's carcass. And so he scoops out some honey for himself for a snack for the journey. And he takes some and gives it to his parents, although he doesn't tell them where he got it. Samson arrives in Timnah. And he engages in what appears to be some kind of like stag do with 30 friends. 
30 companions that are given to him that he feasts with. And at this particular stag do, Samson decides on a party game. He decides he's going to have a riddle. And if these 30 companions, if they can solve the riddle, they'll each get a new outfit. If they can't solve the outfit, Samson's getting a whole new wardrobe. He's getting 30 outfits. Here's the riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days, they wreck their brains. Three days, they, they can't get it. And so on the fourth day, they go to Samson's wife. They're now married at some point during this feast. And like any good guests at a wedding, they threaten to burn the bride. And her family. If she doesn't tell I mean, this, this is just a little insight into how deeply unpleasant the Philistines were. Samson's wife goes to Samson, pleads with him to tell her the answer. Samson hasn't even told his parents, so why should he explain it to her? So Samson's wife cries for seven days. I mean, this is turning out to be a really happy event. She cries for seven days, and Samson then gives in. It seems that she just kept on at him. I'm not going to make any comment on that. And so he explained the riddle to her, and she went and she explained it to the people, and the answer is, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And there's the answer. And then Samson says, verse 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. So Samson finishes his wedding due by calling his wife a heifer. Oh, that, that's, what that, that's what he was doing. So obviously the honeymoon is off. And Samson now needs to get some prizes. He needs 30 outfits, and so what does he do? He goes to Ashkelon. He kills 30 men. He steals their clothes. He hands over the prizes, and he goes home, not clearly back to his new home, because there's no chance he's getting through the door. He goes back to his father's house, and he's raging. And meantime, Samson's wife is given to one of his 30 companions. Shortest marriage ever. And the chapter ends. What a story. What a disaster. Samson is a complete disaster. He cannot be God's appointed deliverer. He's a nightmare. Surely the blessing is gone. Surely the Spirit left him long ago. Well, let's rewind for a moment. Because as I retold the story there, I missed a couple of key details. And then I also want to fast forward because we need to discover another fascinating insight about Samson that is written some time later. You see, one of the most important things we need to see as we read this story is we need not just to see what Samson is doing and get caught up in it, we need to see what God is doing. You see, it's dead easy to get hung up on Samson's actions, especially whenever they're absorbing, especially whenever they're captive. No wonder Hollywood is bringing out a new movie about the life of Samson at the end of the summer. But you see, the danger is we completely miss as we engage with Samson's story, read all about his actions, we miss what God is doing. We miss the bigger picture. So look at verse four again with me, because although Samson is doing his own thing and his parents do not like what he is doing, God is still working out his purposes. Look at this. His parents, verse four, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. This was from the Lord. Try to get your head around this. Samson's decision 
to go after that Philistine girl was from the Lord. It's from the Lord. His wrong, his, his wrong desires, his rebellious attitude were somehow part of the plan. Now, does this mean that Samson was right in doing what was right in his own eyes? No, it doesn't. Samson was bang out of order. Does this mean that his parents were wrong in challenging him about his unwise choices? No. They were absolutely right to challenge him. But you know what this does reveal? What this does tell us is that neither Samson's foolishness nor his stubbornness were going to prevent God from completing his plan. In fact, God uses Samson's sin to further his purposes. And although that may surprise us, it should also be music to our ears. It should be music to our ears because it reminds us that God can do great things through our brokenness, not just despite our brokenness. God can do great things through our brokenness, not just despite our brokenness. God can use our sinfulness and our stupidity to accomplish his purposes. He can use our wrong actions for his good. So do we think that God was taken by surprise by Samson's attitude and actions? I doubt it. As Fred Smith writes, Samson is a maverick. He is a rebel driven by his own selfish desires, doing whatever he pleases, ignoring the claims of God in his life, and yet he ends up doing God's will. God is in control. God has raised up a deliverer, and so God will deliver his people. Samson will take a lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He's already started to do that as he kills 30 of them at Ashkelon. God will use Samson to save his people. Why? Because God said he would. And so although Samson is a sinful savior who made huge mistakes, he's still a servant of God. He's still a servant of God. God's ways are not our ways. God is not limited by our weaknesses. God is not limited by our mess. God doesn't just select perfect people. God doesn't just select sinless people, all cleaned up people to make a difference in his world. Does that then mean it doesn't matter what we do? No, of course not. If I actually stood up here and said it doesn't matter what we do, it would be a distortion of this story and it would be a distortion of the rest of Scripture. God hates sin. God judges sin. There are consequences to sin, which we see time and time again in the Samson story. But in spite of we must not miss what God is doing and what God will do through the life of someone he has chosen, he has set apart. And even though they make poor choices, even though they do their own thing far too often, even though they come across as deeply unpleasant people, they're still servants of God. Still belong to God. See, we are a chosen people, for those of you who have been going through our series in First Peter. We know our identity. We're a chosen people, a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God. Does that mean we never mess up? Does that mean we never get it wrong? We never do our own thing? We never compromise our faith? No, it doesn't. Does that mean we're no longer the people of God? No, it doesn't. God can still use us despite the mistakes we make to accomplish his purposes. And so the first detail I missed out as I retold the story is what God was doing, God's presence right at the heart and core of this story. The second detail I overlooked was God's power. 
Twice in this chapter, Samson's strength is revealed for all to see. Now, we may not like what that strength looks like. Killing animals and killing people offends us. It jars a bit, and so it should at one level. But twice in this chapter, we are told that the Spirit of God rushes on, comes upon Samson powerfully, and enables him to do those very things, kill animals, kill people. And so in verse 6, we read, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn apart a young goat. Verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he went down to Ascalon and he struck down, he killed 30 men. Samson was empowered by the Spirit of God to do great things. The Spirit who began to stir in him as a young boy. End of chapter 13, it was now empowering him later in life. The Spirit of God never left him despite the stupid things he did. Despite the mistakes he made, despite the wrong desires and choices. Samson's strength, you see, came from God. And when God calls, God equips. We're never left on our own to be the people of God that he's called us to be. Never. And so very early in this story, as Samson displays his superhuman strength, we're explicitly reminded of its source. The source is God. When it was time to act, Samson does not draw on his own strength. The Spirit of God comes on him and enables him and empowers him. And for us who are the chosen, holy, called people of God, the same Spirit who strengthened Samson, the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Spirit who lives in us, who enables us, who empowers us. But what the Holy Spirit confirms here in Judges 14 is that despite his mess, despite his sinfulness, God is still powerfully at work in this man's life. God is still powerfully present, and therefore Samson is a hero. And again, we may want to react to that, and we can say, how can we stop here and say Samson is any kind of a hero based on what we just read in chapter 14? Yes, at the end of chapter 13, I get that. But as we read chapter 14, and as we read chapter 15, as we read chapter 16, how can he be described as a hero? And that takes us, or that requires of us to fast forward, if you like, to Hebrews 11 as we finish. Because we need to get to that famous chapter that lists all the incredible people of faith. The heroes of the Christian faith. Great people like Noah and Abraham and Joseph and Moses. People we say, yes, such heroes. Then you come to verse 32 of Hebrews 11 and you read this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon. There's one of the other judges. Barak, Samson? Jephthah, about David and Samuel, still in the same breath as David. And about the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. You see, Samson's there. Samson is there in that faith hall of faith. So is he a a hero? Yes, he is a hero, but he's a flawed hero. But he's still a man of faith. Still a man of faith. But did you notice that last sentence? Samson, whose weakness was turned to strength. Yes, Samson was weak. He had a weakness for women. Here in chapter 14, he's a weakness for women. We will see it time and time again as we read the rest of the story. He had a weakness for women. 
He also had a weakness for doing his own thing, not doing the right thing, not doing God's thing, but for doing his own thing. And we'll keep seeing that in this series. But you know something? God turned his weakness to strength. And if you're a Christian here this morning and you don't think, you know something, God could never use me because of a particular weakness in my life. God could never use me because I keep messing up. I keep committing that and I keep having wrong desires. I keep doing what's right in my own eyes. Then do you know what you need to hear this morning? You need to hear that God is more than able to graciously take your weaknesses and turn them into strength. God is able to take your weaknesses and turn them into strength. So was Samson flawed? Absolutely flawed. Was he a man of faith? Definitely. Why? Because Samson was chosen and called by God and his weakness was turned into strength by our amazing God. And that, like this, is sweet. Sweet.